1: Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley.
2: Welcome to Episode 316 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from medical practice. The topic today is comparing British and Canadian support for family caregiving. Supports provided to family caregivers vary according to the role that's perceived for family caregiving. One perspective is that family caregivers are homemakers, helping family members with personal and domestic things, which um, health conditions prevent the family members from doing for themselves. Another perspective is that family caregivers should be members of the circle of care. That's the team of healthcare professionals and social workers who currently are providing services for the family caregiver's family member or members. The two contrasting perspectives prescribe remarkably different types of supports that family caregivers are presumed to need. Now, throughout the 300 plus episodes of this show, I've heard about family caregivers challenges in getting the supports they need. And examples of those challenges are the need for support in learning about things that they need to know for their family caregiving. Um, Support in exchanging information about their family members with healthcare and social service professionals, support in combating their own physical, psychological, and financial exhaustion. Now, family caregivers care for medically incurable physical and mental illnesses, permanent disabilities, and life ending conditions. Now, these all occur in all countries and in all cultures so how the various countries and the particular cultures actually support family caregivers needs and their requirements that's something that's itself in need of much more discussion especially with or involving family caregivers which is why our topic Comparing British and Canadian supports for family caregiving is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Donna Thompson. Now, Donna began her career as an actor, director, and teacher. She started her second career as a disability activist, author, consultant, and writer in 1988, when her son Nicholas was born with severe disabilities. She's authored The Four Walls of My Freedom, Lessons I've Learned from a Life of Caregiving, a book which was published in 2014. She blogs regularly on her her website, The Caregiver's Living Room. She teaches family caregivers best practice advocacy skills in her workshop, How to Know What You Want and Get What You Need. She's co founder of Lifetime Networks Ottawa, an affiliate of Planned Lifetime Advocacy Networks in Vancouver, Canada. She's a board director representing family caregivers at NeuroDevNet, a Canadian centre of excellence. She's married to James Wright, former Canadian High Commissioner to the United Kingdom. She and Jim have two children, Nicholas and Natalie. Now, welcome to the show, Donna. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Great. Now, let's start with the first question, which is, please tell us more about your own personal experience of family caregiving. Donna?
3: Well, um, I, I, I feel that I have had um, rather a lifetime of caregiving. Uh, I was about 18 years old. When my father had the first of three strokes uh, that eventually took his life, but before uh, my dad passed away, he had lost his mobility and his speech, and he lived with us at home for um, uh, about two years before he passed away. And I, I, um, I certainly. Uh, be, learned something about what it is to care for a loved one uh, at home, although uh, my mother obviously did most of the caring. When my son was born in 1988, he was my first, chi- our first child, and uh, he. We learned that he had severe cerebral palsy, and he was also very, very medically complex. And he continues to be medically complex. He's 25 years old now. And he has a great, he has a really great life, but it is a life, uh, that does involve a lot of bed rest, um, and one-to-one 24-hour care, uh, nursing care. So, um, I did a lot of his care, uh, throughout his childhood, his infancy, his childhood, and his teenage years. And Nicholas now, um, as of about two years ago, lives in uh, a care home nearby our family residence. And we visit him um, almost every day, I would say, where he lives. And if we don't visit, we talk to him. So, um, you know, we are still uh, very, very, very close. And we are, I'm certainly still very involved in all of his health care um, decision-making, and so forth.
2: So, Right. I'm only going to stop you there because you've, as I say, been there, done that, just as so many people who are listening to us have been there and done that, and that's profoundly important uh, as a way of making connections. So now I want to talk to you to talk to us about your book, The Four Walls of My Freedom – Lessons I've Learned from a Life of Caregiving. Please tell us about that, Donna.
3: Well, I wrote, um, you know, I wrote this book uh, simply really because um, I discovered an idea that transformed the way I thought about our family life and our family experiences with our son's disability. Um we, I, you know, previously, I, I really believed that our family experience was so unusual, so radically different from other people's, um, that uh, I, it was a, an accident of nature, and our story didn't really have anything to tell anyone else. But. Uh, in conversation one day um, with someone that I met, actually in Ireland, we were traveling, I was traveling with my husband, I began to have a conversation with someone who told me about the work of uh, an economist from India who had won the Nobel Prize for economics for something called the Capability Approach, and Amartya Sen is the author of the capability approach and he devised a whole way of looking at circumstances of adversity and and he wanted to know how people could have a good life even though um, fate had had uh, dealt them a difficult deal and I became captivated by this idea and I began to do a lot of research, and I discovered that I could look at our family life and Nicholas's experience um, through the lens of the capability approach, and that if we took Sen's ideas about capability and applied them to a policy lens uh, in Canada and in the UK, where we were living at that time, that we could... If we actually asked people, what do you need to have a good life, given all of the givens of your life, we could use the answers to, the, to that question as a policymaking tool. That's what Sen was doing with extreme poverty in India and in the rest of the developing world. Um, and... So I decided to take his ideas and apply them to the caregiving experience, and that basically was was is you know sort of the where that book came from. And uh, now, I got very excited about it because it it truly it was an idea that changed my life.
2: Yes, um, tell us a little bit more about what you led what really led you to write the book. I, you've explained quite a lot of that, but I want you to go right back to the beginning of when the thought first came to you that you should write in the way that you've done. Donna? Well, I,
3: you know, I didn't want to simply write the story of our experience. I had a very political agenda. I felt that we needed uh, to shift our thinking as a society, about dependency, about caring for others, and how we support the giving and receiving of care in families, in communities, in provinces, in countries. And so with that political agenda, basically what I did was um, with every idea that I wanted to present, whether it was an idea about the human worth of people who are very, very dependent or the worth of uh, people who give care um, throughout their lives like me, Um, where do we fit in society and how should governments and communities support us? In our care, in our giving and receiving care. So, what I basically did was I had these ideas that I wanted to express, and I went through my memory banks of our family experience, and I chose stories that actually happened to us to 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 introduce each idea. Um, so this is. The role of education, and I told stories about what happened to Nicholas in in school. Um, how, when I couldn't find a school that would accept him in London, for example, in the 1990s, um, when we lived there at that time, I was desperate, and uh, I I thought, what if there is no school? it will actually accept my son. What will happen then? Um, Until I actually called the school right down the street from where we lived, even though it had hundreds of stairs. I didn't think that uh, it was a possibility, but I was, as I say, I was desperate. So I picked up the phone, and the head teacher, the principal of the school, answered. And I actually remember saying to her, I suppose there's no way you would want my son. And she said, of course, we want him. He's in. And I, <laughs> I, love I said, it. "Well, I love I, it. I'm not sure that you you uh, know what you're talking about because I actually haven't described everything he needs just to get through the day." And um, so she said, "No, no, 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 no. I am trying to create a mini society in our school, and um, we don't have any children with disabilities. We need one."
2: Now Donna um, so, I'm only going, I'm going to stop you again here because of the what I call the tyranny of time. Oh uh, yeah. We do ha- we have to take the break but we're coming back and all of those things that you want to add we'll have a chance to do in the next segment. So Uh, We'll take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Donna Thompson. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back.
0: Want more positivity in your life? Are you ready to get healthy, happy, and energized? Join the Stella Donna Goddess Gals, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany, for a power hour of stimulating, supportive conversation on Star Style. Be the star you are. A lineup of best-selling authors, celebrities, and experts. Join the effervescent mother-daughter dynamic duo in this upbeat, positive, life-changing talk radio playground star style be the star you are wednesdays 4 to 5 p.m pacific 7 to 8 p.m eastern on the voice america empowerment channel lend us your ears it's power time are you ready to move to your next level listen for empowering women transforming lives with host rebecca hall greider each show will focus on a central topic with discussion guests and your questions being featured Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment.
1: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Donna Thompson. Our topic is comparing British and Canadian support for family caregiving. Now. Let's talk, Donna, please, in more detail about family caregiving in these two countries. And first of all, please tell us about the names given in Britain to what I'm calling family caregivers or the people I'm calling family caregivers, the roles in which they are recognised and the support that they receive. Donna? Well,
3: in the UK, I mean, we've lived um, nine of my our son's twenty five years in in London England and um, so I will speak from my experience in the UK caregivers would be referred to family caregivers would be referred to as carers paid uh, support workers or um, I guess, well, we would call them paid support workers, would be called care workers. So um, there are two, I guess, national, the really the biggest organizations that support family caregivers um, in the UK uh, would be Carers UK and the Princess Royal Trust for Carers. Those two organizations... Um, there are smaller, more local ones too, obviously, but those are the big national too, and they both do a lot of very, very good work in terms of uh support um, information and training so uh they 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 have a a telephone number that if somebody feels quite stressed and burnt out, there's a phone number where someone will answer the phone and talk you through kind of like a distress line. Um, there are people who are, I won't call them social workers, um, they are caregiving specialists and they help to support caregivers, people who are employed by these charities. Um, and so, um, you know, there, there, there is that level of support. And a lot of information um, that caregivers can can locate through those charities that's going that will help them in their caregiving um, roles and responsibilities. The UK government also uh, has support in that is financial for caregivers. So there is a monthly. Uh, check basically that arrives in the mail. Um, in terms of um, th- that's called the caregiver benefit, and um, the, the the support that caregivers receive lar- largely, though, depends on where they live in the UK. So there is a great deal of regional disparity in the United Kingdom. Um, across the board for uh, services of all sorts so and caregiving is is no exception to that rule so um, health services education services all services social services um, are going to vary widely depending on where you live because the um, the uh, areas or boroughs um, of of where you actually live, those areas are like Canadian provinces. They have responsibility for matters of health and social care.
2: Donna, I know I'm being very rude, but I'm going to interrupt you now because you've mentioned the word Canada, and that takes me to my next question. But I'm also tyrannized by time, and therefore so are you. So let's now go to the next question, which is, tell us about the names given in Canada to family caregivers, the roles in which family caregivers are recognized, and the support they receive. Donna?
3: Well... You know, there, there's a great deal of um, confusion around the language of caregiving in North America. And I know people, and I, I I've at various times use different words for caregiving. I will use the word uh, family caregiver, loving care, natural care, uh, informal care, unpaid care, Uh, There are all these terms that are swirling around in the caregiving world. Um, And there are people, there's always going to be somebody who takes great exception to all of those terms, um, or one or another of them. And I think that's because, um, you know, to say someone is... article in the in the in in the in the paper last week taking great exception to the word informal caregiving, which is a term that's thrown around all the time nowadays. And it does refer to unpaid family caregiving, caring for somebody out of the, the love in your heart. And people take exception to that term because it it doesn't reflect the challenges that are inherent and the fact that People really do pay with um, the loss of a job, with um, with well, people pay to give to give care uh, to somebody they love in many many different ways. So we haven't found the language in North America yet that accurately captures the challenges, the costs, and the burden of care, as well as the joy and the benefits of it. So. I think, um, you know, that's our challenge. And I think also that reflects the fact that we don't know in North America the place of caregivers with respect to the circle of care. Um, as you mentioned at the top of the show, we don't know where caregivers belong. What, what, what is the gravitas of our voice? Do we have a place uh, on a hospital chart? do we um should we be able to uh phone doctors after hours what what where do we fit i don't think we've worked out that question and yet so much responsibility for very complex healthcare tasks has been downloaded to family caregivers so um those are the two sides of that coin we haven't worked it out yet
2: right now i 'd like you, Donna, to summarize for us what i 'm going to call the similarities and differences you see in the ways the two countries name family caregivers you 've already said a lot about that recognize their roles and support them similarities and differences
3: Donna well i think um, I think what 's interesting that about the u k is that um, the the national coffers at the moment in the United Kingdom are empty. And so uh, sometimes financial adversity um, and, cha- you know, cha- challenging budgets are going to, in fact, help somebody like a family caregiver in a way because people are then prepared to throw away the status quo and invent something new. And in the United Kingdom, what's happened around social care is that um, social enterprise or businesses with a social a purpose, a social good as part of its purpose, have really begun to flourish in that country much more than here. So you see a lot of um, uh, businesses that have started up which also particular objective to meet a social need. Um, You have a two-tier healthcare system um, in the United Kingdom. And uh, so caregivers are, I think, encouraged to be a little bit more entrepreneurial and creative. The other thing about the United Kingdom is that now everybody has a right to a personal budget. So anyone who wants direct funding for their for the social care that they're organizing for their loved one uh, can have uh, just give me the cash and I'll and I'll do it if I need somebody to clean my house I'll hire that Uh, if I need somebody to walk my dog I'll pay somebody for that it's not the um, social care funding isn't as closely tied to um, transfer payment agencies so in the United Kingdom You won't see a situation so much that you would hear as in, well, what's on offer is a day program that runs on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 9 to 3. People in the United Kingdom can get the cash instead. So that's created a lot of business opportunities for people um, to help family caregivers. Now, there are a lot of problems with that system as well. And uh, we don't have time to go into all of the pros and cons of the direct funding as it's rolled out in the U.K. uh, now. But, you know, it's a very, very interesting social experiment that's gone on in the U.K., something I know that I and a lot of my colleagues are looking at closely to see um, what can we learn from uh, the U.K. experience, because our cultures are so close um and i would say that i we had our family had um terrific uh ex- a, a terrific experience with healthcare and social care in the united kingdom but i have to say that we lived in a wealthy part of london that has exceptionally good services. I think it's a different story if you lived in the north of England or in East London. It's it's difficult to to compare. It's apples and oranges because the because of the regional disparities.
2: That's a very interesting comment. And I guess what it raises is a, is a question that I'll just put rhetorically to you, because once again, we're going to have to take the break. But it is this, that By directly funding, if I've understood you right, the family caregivers, the family caregivers then have a greater responsibility and are encouraged basically to work out their own needs, plan their budgets and provide the care that they think is going to be needed in their particular circumstances. Now, I I know that's a lengthy description, but just just very quickly, have I got that at least half right, Donna? Yes. Very interesting. And
3: it's actually, it's not, it, the funding, of course, is going to the person with the care need. Uh, but it's up to the family caregiver, in reality, to take that check, cash it, and do something with it. Got so it. Um, people, But people don't have to take that direct funding if they, if they don't have the capacity, if they're alone and don't have a family caregiver who will take that responsibility. They can still take the state offer right. of programs so and, and services, but you don't have any choice then.
2: Right. Now, once again, tyranny of time, so we'll take the break. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Adler and my guest is Donna Thompson. You're listening to Family Cake of us Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back.
0: It's time to access your magic.
4: Have you figured out what's not working in your business and why? Could you use a little help? Join your host, Tamaron for Let's Figure It Out Intimately. Tamaron was struggling with the same issue, so she hired other business coaches and experts to help her see what she couldn't. Her journey is to keep learning, and she is here to share this with you so that we can all keep working together. Let's Figure It Out Intimately. Airs live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
1: are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Donna Thompson. Our topic is comparing British and Canadian supports for family caregiving. Donna, let's talk about family caregivers and the healthcare systems. Talk some more because you've already um, outlined, I think, a very key differentiation in the two systems. But I now want to know more about the way in which the British family caregivers, this is my first question, work and communicate with the healthcare system itself and are accepted by it as members of the healthcare team or circle of care. Donna?
3: Well, I think, you know, an awful lot has changed um, it, over the past 20 years. It has here too, but it's changed much more radically, I think, in, in the UK, um, we first, our family first moved from Canada to London, England in 1992, and in in 1992, um, there were traditions of how the systems worked and how sort of the the family doctor, um, um, you know, operated the 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 business, and those. Traditions were very embedded, for example, and, and they were cumbersome. Um, mind you, in 1992, the computer wasn't invented yet. So, um, you know, obviously this is some time ago now, but when we first moved there, our general practitioner, who in the, in the U.K. is the center of everything, one still does n- not go directly to a specialist Ever, You have to go through the GP for everything that you need in the health care system. So, um, uh, and that's true even in private medicine, but we always use the National Health Service. So I'll just use that as, as an example. So in 1992, to have a prescription filled and even, the, even refills, I had to walk down the street to the doctor's office and drop off a request for that prescription, then two days later or a day later, I had to go back to the office and collect the prescription, and then I had to bring the prescription to the drugstore. There was no, there were no phone calls, let alone um, internet uh, discussion between the doctor's office and the pharmacy. So I had to make, I think, six trips. Have um, a prescription filled, and Nicholas was probably on twelve different medications. So um, now I eventually created a relationship um, with the secretary in the in the GP's office, and we sort of worked out a little arrangement that was um, easier on me. But um, you know, it was. And if you asked people, well, why do you do this this way? They would answer, it's because it's always been done that way. And so, um, but now, you know, things have really moved on out of necessity and out of a need for for far greater efficiency. Um, but at the same time, with efficiency comes the uh, diminishing face-to-face contact with the doctor's office. So... Now, of course, all you have to do is phone, and they, you know, they'll phone the, the pharmacy. It's more—it's more similar to the way it works today in Canada. Um, uh, but you know, I and I would say that similarly, we were. Nicholas was a patient on community palliative care service in London, and that service is very community oriented. And I don't think we've ever had as good care as we had. I never had as much support as a caregiver as I had in palliative care in England. Um, You know, I I would say that it is exceptional in terms of um, really supporting the family caregiver.
2: Right. Now, again, I want to, take you to Canada now. Please talk about the ways in which Canadian family caregivers work and communicate with the healthcare system and are accepted by it as members of the healthcare team. Donna?
3: Well, I think that in Canada, what has happened is that so much care responsibility has been downloaded to families uh, we ran a home hospital uh, for Nicholas as long, you know, until he moved into a care facility. And uh, the when I think of what I did, I was doing technical, technical nursing at home, and we a lo- large part of that was um, unsupported on a daily basis. I was making life and death decisions. Um, and doing CPR and, and so forth regularly. And I think when you do that kind of extreme caregiving, the expectations of families is, is quite horrendous. So then the healthcare system, the response of the healthcare system is to, um, to respect the family caregiver as a part of the treatment team to some extent but there really isn't, I don't think, the, the level of support that should be there given the responsibility of the burden of care that has been downloaded to families.
2: That's very clear, and it goes back to several other things that you've said, which is essentially that the support depends very much on what, how the system supposes that family caregivers are going to operate with it. So now I want you to please summarize for us the similarities and differences, just as you did before, in the ways in which family caregivers in the two countries work and communicate with the healthcare system or systems and accepted by it as members of the healthcare team. Donna? Well,
3: I think I think the primary difference really is the role of the general practitioner in in the UK. The fact that everything stems from the GP. Um, if you need to see a specialist, if you need an X-ray, if you need um, a blood test, if you need an MRI or um, or a hospital admission, everything has to come from the general practitioner. So you can't bypass the general practitioner in the U.K. the way you can here and, you know, the way we tend to go straight to specialists for many, many of our healthcare needs. So I would say that that's probably the biggest fundamental difference in the way it's all organized. Um, And there are, you know, benefits and um, there are pros and cons for the family caregiver to to both of those systems. I think... um, the continuity of care is is uh, for for the and which has obviously great benefits for the family caregiver. The continuity of care is maybe easier to kind of track it is It is perhaps a better continuity of care if you're always going to the same person who knows everything about uh you know, all of the appointments, and somebody's keeping track other than the caregiver. um, Somebody's keeping track of the big picture. So the fact that we're kind of more fragmented here I think makes it harder for family caregivers to get support um, on an ongoing basis. The family caregiver can be, or the GP rather, can be a very good support for family caregivers. Um, and often is called upon to do so regularly, um, but it's you know, but also uh, it can be frustrating that you have to go to the GP when you quite clearly need the assistance of of, the, of a specialist in a hurry. So um, you know, I I think that's pro- those that probably encapsulates in a very very general way um, sort of what the differences are. And I think in both countries, both systems are struggling to find the correct place for the family caregiver in both in the hospital and in community care. I mean, the whole medical profession is struggling to figure out community care. Um, I don't think we've ever had so many patients living in the community with very high needs, complex needs, um, many people with Alzheimer's. And these numbers are just growing and growing. So uh, the whole medical profession, all the supports and services in allied health are going to have to play catch-up big time.
2: Now, that raises a question which I think probably applies in both countries, and that is this. Um, If... um people are being sent home from hospital in, forgive the language, sicker state, quicker than was ever the case before. That increases the burden not only on the community services, but also on family caregivers. Now, given that proposition, and I'm not sure whether you agree with it or not, then how, in your view, very quickly, should family caregivers be positioned in both countries? Well,
3: um, there was a big inquiry uh, about long-term care, a national um, committee and assessment in the United States uh, about six months ago. And that committee recommended that family caregivers be embedded into the hospital charts and that there be a national um, uh, recommend, it was a national recommendation that no patient should be discharged without proper discharge planning in conjunction with family caregivers. So I think we're beginning, I think, you know, all of these massive shifts in the way that we do things um, in our national systems it, you know, it's like Malcolm Gladwell said about the tipping point. I think we have gone over the tipping point. We've seen the catastrophic results of people being discharged at 3 o'clock in the morning um, uh, w- without telling anybody at home that this patient is being discharged. The, the results of of the, these kind of practices are very, very costly to the taxpayer. So... Um, we're beginning to, to sort of realize, okay, well, we're going to have to do things differently, and the family caregiver is really going to have to be part of the professional team. Right. So we have to professionalize the family caregiver and give uh, the family caregiver proper professional respect. And right. at, the, at the same time, though, we have to give them an, out, an opt-out clause. Yes. So it's a complicated, um, you know, it's a complicated problem, but many people in many, in every country today are really faced with the similar challenges in the developed world and, uh, you know, the, um, the, the organization of, uh, of the OECD, what's that stand for? The Organization of Economic uh, Cooperation and Development. One entity that's looking at comparing notes, how do you do it? How do you do it? What can we do about this
2: particular issue of caregiving? Now, on that point, once again, I'm going to have to break in, but we will be tidying all this up in the final segment. So we'll take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Atterley. My guest is Donna Thompson. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back.
4: Are decisions at the leadership level determined by influences of external factors? Discover by tuning into From the Boardroom to the Bedroom, The Protocol Praxis with Suzanne Z. Pedro. Science reveals that decisions are made subconsciously based on emotions and learning which occurs before one is aware. So take a chance, open the door, reframe your critical decisions with proven successful strategies, The Boardroom to the Bedroom. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in every week for the Wellness Lounge, a step further, with host Desiree Watson. Our program empowers you to incorporate a wellness lifestyle into your life, supported by a diverse selection of guests, including physicians, athletes, and education and government professionals, while helping you realize the connection between mind body and spirit, you'll achieve a personal edge in injury avoidance, stress management, and personal development. The Wellness Lounge, a step further, airs Mondays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Empowerment.
1: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Donna Thompson. Our topic is comparing British and Canadian support for family caregiving. Uh, Donna, let's talk about what... More you would like to do personally and see done to help family caregivers in Canada benefit from the experience of family caregivers in other countries such as Britain, so first question, what more would you like to do to give that help Donna well
3: i think I think it's um, you know as I, as I mentioned earlier, I think the the experiment of direct funding has very, very profound implications for the family caregiver experience. Um, it's something that I think we want, but also something that one might say, sometimes looking at the UK experience, be careful what you wish for. So I think yes. we need to really be looking, as I say, internationally, I know that a you know, with some of my colleagues, we've been talking about trying to think about how we could start um, a global uh, discussion of comparing experience on fa- in family caregiving or in natural care, unpaid caregiving, whatever you want to call it, um, so that we can understand uh, how to make our systems most supportive as well as most flexible, Um, incorporating individual solutions for individual, uh, you know, problems in people's family homes. Um, Certainly family caregiving is a messy business, and one solution will not fit all. So I think if there's one thing that I would hope for and that is a message that I could um, hope to bring is simply from looking at um, the support and the growth of social enterprise, or as, as it's called in, in the U.K., the third sector of uh, charitable nonprofits, charitable businesses with a social good that are actually sustainable businesses. And if we can support that direction so that we are encouraging more civic engagement in, in the community and more civic engagement in private enterprise to support um, family caregivers and, and uh, people with care needs in our communities, uh, caregiver employees, and, and just across society. Um, I, I would hope that we would be able to learn from each other's experience.
2: Very good. Now, who in Canada? What organization in Canada would you like to see taking the action that you're calling for?
3: Well, um, I think it's. I mean it's it's a it's a it's a, a multi sector um, issue. It's a, it's a pan government issue. Issues of family caregiving. Um, Have an impact and are impacted by um, every ministry in the federal government, by and every uh, part of the the provincial governments and even municipal. So it's it's really everyone. I think we do require a national strategy, and um, I think if I if I can say one thing as well, I think what we need to do is provide family caregivers, and this is. We we need to incentivize activities that assist family caregivers to communicate and cooperate with the healthcare system. For example, one thing that we use in our family and that I it's a it's a, something that it's a product that I support hugely is called Ties Personal Networks. So we use an actual computer, an IT tool. Um, is closed and highly secure, similar data security as online banking. We use an uh, we use a web platform to coordinate Nicholas's paid support, his GP, his general practitioner, and our family. Together we all talk on a daily basis about our son's care. Right. And to bring together in a real really concrete way, um, ways that we can blend formal and informal care. right? And not just pay at lip service. We need to be on the same page about the people we care for and about.
2: Now, very last question, unfortunately, because I say unfortunately because we're covering some Wonderfully important ground in this discussion, but Donna, what is your message for family caregivers in Canada? Donna,
3: my message for family caregivers, I think, would be to, um, you know, that that caregiving is. A great challenge, but I think every time that you think you've reached the bottom floor of your personality as a as you know as a as a person with capacity to care, uh, we crash through that bottom floor and find another floor and then we crash through again. Family caregiving is a life affirming and life enriching um, activity and I think that in order for us to all appreciate that, that it is life-enriching and life-affirming and that it's something that needs to be supported, we need to tell our stories. So I would say to family caregivers in Canada, tell a neighbor, tell your extended family, tell your employer, tell your coworkers, let's tell our stories of caregiving. So that people begin to know, because too often we keep silent and then people just don't know what it is to give care or to receive it.
2: You know, I, of course, strongly agree with that, what you just said about stories, not least because of the experience I've had with this talk show. That is um, the voice of someone describing the story. they, What they encountered in the way of challenges, how they overcame them, um, is at times heart-stopping in the very best way. That is to say, it captures your attention, um, gives the person who's talking your fullest credibility. This is someone who knows what I'm talking about, what I want to hear about, and what I've been going through. And so that's what you've just shared with us Donna is a very powerful message and if I ever get the opportunity I'd love to go through this again with you in more detail to see how I can help with you and your colleagues in this kind of work so I want to say Donna thank you for sharing with us your experience on two continents your insights which are very intensive I would say and your advice which is powerful because as I've said to you before you are an authentic, authentic vote voice and i want to wish you all success in your work for every family caregiver's sake i want to say thank you to our listeners we'd like to hear your comments on this episode and from our listeners i'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in interested in being a guest on the show our next episode will be india rainbow community services confront elder abuse please join us same time same spot on the internet talk with you then